Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian O'Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Yohei Nakajima, one of the general partners at Untapped Capital and the creator of Pixel Beasts. We will discuss his work in the NFT space. So welcome to the show, Yohei. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. I'm really delighted to have you on, especially because you're doing things in the NFT space that are really different than some of the other people I've spoken to already. And I'm really, really interested in learning sort of what you're doing, how you're combining what you're doing and how you think about the space uh, from those perspectives. But for people who don't already know who you are, maybe you could introduce yourself real briefly and just kind of let people know a little bit about your background and how you came to this space. Yeah, so my background, again, my name is Yohei. I've uh, worked primarily with startups or only with startups my whole career. Um, for about 15 years, seven years on the investing side, initially with a startup accelerator called Techstars. I moved to a venture fund in the Bay called Scrum Ventures before starting my own kind of pre-seed early stage venture capital fund called Untapped Capital. So we and we look for and invest in interesting early stage startups. Um, part of my job is to keep an eye on trends. And part of the way I learn has always been to build. Um, so actually last summer, I went really deep on no code and built our entire fund's CRM using a no-code base, which we still use today. And this summer, I really got drawn, spring, I got drawn into NFTs and, you know, decided to go on a learning journey, which was drawing, writing some code, releasing it. Um, and, and the result of that um, is, is what you're seeing is a vibrant community doing a lot of things. Um, but it really started as a learning journey for myself. Could you say a little bit more about your background in, in venture capital and in investments? Because looking at your companies, they do a, you do a lot of very, very different kinds of things, not all of which are obviously connected to NFTs or cryptocurrency or anything like that. Sort of like, did you think your background in sort of investing in all these different kinds of projects prepared you in helpful ways for kind of seeing NFTs as being a, a, a promising new opportunity? So, you know, when we, I think there's two questions in that. On, on the side of which industries do you look at, um, investing in early stage, I really enjoy looking for new trends. Um, so if you look at our portfolio companies, we've invested in everything from, from food to fashion to no code to machine learning but um, if, you talk, if I talk about each individual investments, we invested in a food, you know, farm to food delivery service around April, right after the pandemic hit. Huge trend happening of people ordering directly to home and wanting to order more local foods. We did, you know, a no-code machine learning tool just as no-code was picking up. And right now I'm looking at NFTs. So, so there is kind of a trend of continuing to look for, like, what's the next big thing, which is part of being a venture capitalist. Um, specific to NFTs, I do have a couple, I think two, uh, two big pieces in my background that I think was relevant. One, I've always been a community manager of sorts. I mean, since middle school, I distinctly remember calling friends, parents and coordinating, you know, rides to the mall so that we could all meet together. Right? And I was a social chair in college, big community leader in the LA startup ecosystem. So building community is something that I've always done. And then I think separately from that, um, the industry I've had the most experience in happens to be me in entertainment. 
So when I worked with Techstars, I got to work for two years very closely and launching the Disney Accelerator. And then during my time at Scrum, I got to work for over three years working really closely with Nintendo. And two of them are just, you know, the brightest minds in entertainment media. And I think a lot of kind of their philosophy and the way they view media, entertainment, IP, and brand definitely did shape the way I approached um, designing Pixel Beasts. So when you first started getting interested in NFTs, what caught your attention? Were there particular projects or kinds of things people were using them for? Was there something in particular that sort of caught your eye or made you start thinking about you know, how this might intersect with stuff that you wanted to be doing? It was definitely the energy or, or the vibes, right? It was, it was this, this mix of people that you wouldn't expect to be in the same room, right? I listened to some Twitter spaces. You have you have these traders who are yelling about floor prices and yields and staking. And then you have true artists who are just happy that there's like an avenue for them to like, you know, build their own true fans without going through gardens. And then there's the, the core technologists who are geeking out on what like the next, you know, different layers and chains. And you have all these people in the same room passionately talking about the same thing. And I think whenever people you don't expect are excited about the same thing, some excited things happen. And that's really what drew me. And I was like, I want to be part of this. As a venture capitalist, kind of coming to the NFT market with that kind of skill set and 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 kind of vision, how did you set about kind of learning about what was taking place and educating yourself about something new? So for me, it was, you know, first thing I did was to go and try out some tools. So actually back in February or March, I Decided I would mint a collection, came up with an idea, shopped around. I think I ended up choosing Rarible, but I looked at Mintable, OpenSea Cargo, and really just went through the experience of minting and pushing it out and just the emotions of it. Um, that project I kind of pulled. I, it, it didn't really feel right, so I pulled it. And then switched gears more toward kind of listening mode. So I joined a lot of discords. I listened to a lot of Twitter spaces, and I really got to kind of appreciate the vibe and the people and the language and realize that even within the NFT community, there's many communities within them, right? So really just like I did probably five, six months of that as I kind of prepared and planned Pixel Beasts, um, which was great because a lot of the design that went into Pixel Pixel Beasts evolved as I watched the space, right? As I heard people talking about the Cool Cats one-of-ones, I was like, all right, I, I need to sit down and make some one-of-ones. And then when I saw Loot Launch, I was like, this is genius. I'm going to add some invisible attributes to my Pixel Beast. And I added kind of speed, strength, and all those into my Pixel Beast, which has in turn turned into games. So um, I guess listening and reading, and then of course doing a little bit of collection myself, just so I can understand the emotions of somebody going through picking, minting, buying, even fractional buying, and just doing a little bit of each. So when you created that initial project, sort of, how did you conceptualize that? You know, what was the creation process like, and when did you realize that there was something missing, like a uh, special sauce that? that it needed in order to sort of satisfy what your vision was for the project. So this was February, right? So this was like pre-Board Ape Mint. So this is pretty way back. So I thought, okay, well, this is a a new space, something gimmicky I think will go well. So the one I came up with was called the Numbers Collection. And there was, it was just a white square with one number on it. And there was one one, there's two twos, there was three threes, there was four fours, and so on. And the plan was to do 5,050 between one to 100. Um, I see that was gimmicky enough. There were no numbers-based collections. You've seen that in collection. But I really just wrote it as like the, you know, the first numerical collection for like number enthusiasts or something. And it was a good gimmicky idea. I pushed it out. And after I did one tweet, I had like one offer on one of them. And it just kind of felt like a gimmicky money grab. 
I think it just didn't feel right. That's what it was, right? I, I looked at the space and felt like, oh, it feels like if I did something gimmicky, it might do well. Uh, and I think as I pushed it out, I realized that. And also, I minted the contract. I, there wasn't lazy minting, or at least I couldn't find it at the time. So it cost me, you know, a few hundred dollars to like mint the first, you know, twenty. <laughs> and I was like, I can't mint ten. I can't mint all of these without knowing if I can sell them. Um, so I, I, I um, and then after that one offer on the first one, I just kind of didn't feel like the right move. Yeah. So you you then put that away and started thinking about what else to do. When you started thinking about Pixel Beasts, like. Where did that come from? What were you, what were you reacting to? Sort of, what were you trying to incorporate or do differently from that initial project? Was there a, like just an aesthetic shift or more of like a mindset shift? So actually, when I started Pixel Beast, there was definitely a mindset shift because when I started drawing the Pixel Beast, I was not planning on doing an NFT. I was reading about CryptoPunks and how there were 24 by 24 pixel canvases. And I remember doing college, like one of the assignments was to do pixel art. And I remember really enjoying it. I thought, oh, 24 by 24 pixel canvas seems like a quick project. It won't take too much time. So I opened up a canvas on Photoshop to like just do a little drawing one night. And I drew a bear. And I was like, I'll draw a body. I'll draw a shirt. Wait, if I color the bear different, it looks like a panda. If I change the ear four pixels to dog. And then four hours later, I had 100 layers and 2 million combinations. Um, and then I thought to myself, well, I wonder if I could write the generative code. Right. So what was that like? I mean, did you have a background in coding? I've been coding on, I've been coding on and off since middle school. So um, while I've never been paid as an engineer, I can, I, can put, I can hack together tools that function. So when you started putting this project together as an NFT project, what were your initial thoughts about what it was going to look like and what kind of features you thought were going to be most important to appeal to the audience that you foresaw for that project? And how did it change or develop over time, like during the course of creating the project and maybe also over the course of rolling it out and seeing how people responded to it? Yeah, once once I realized it was going to be an NFT project, you know, I th- to me, I was looking at, you know, CryptoPunks and then at that time, Bored Apes was already out. And a lot of the art didn't speak to me. Um, it's going to sound a little cliche being Japanese, but like, you know, where's the, where's the cute art that speaks to like kids and kids and like, you know, um, others, uh, cool cats came out around that time. And, and I remember seeing it and going, wow, that's like the first kind of like cute, friendly kind of uh, NFT collection, but it was about that time. So it kind of first started as like, oh, I should make a kid friendly one. Like I have kids. I want to give them my NFTs. I'm not going to give them a mutant ape. That's kind of scary. Um, and then when Loot came out, I got really excited about the idea of like cross NFT, cross NFT utility, making it like buildable on top. So that's when I added a lot of attributes like speed, strength, whatnot. And then I added a couple of fun ones like best friend and nemesis. Cause I was like, okay, well maybe there's some fun things we can do with these attributes. Um, and then, so I started building some utility before launching. I built the Tango NFT app, which is the kind of calendar app for every NFT collection. And I was pretty blown away by how easy it was to build on top of these existing NFT collections and how some anybody could just build utility for an existing community that was active and willing to like play with it. So then I switched my gear toward like, I want to I want to get more devs in here. So let's make it all about building. And I'll pause there because like that was just like kind of the evolution building up to the launch. 
So yeah, so talk about that. Like, what are the role of a dev or developer in producing a project like this? And from your kind of experience, what kind of value added can a developer bring to a project? Well, I think there's a few parts to it, right? I mean, specifically to the project itself, right? If you if you want to do more drops, like you need smart contracts. If you want to build a game, you need game devs. So I think at a high level, every project wants devs. I think more from an ecosystem perspective, engineers are always in high demand. If you can create a place that's welcoming to engineers or maybe a place I was thinking more, you know, because I'm not a Web3 coder and a lot of my code actually didn't even touch Web3. It was a lot of Web2 code using JavaScript to play with MetaMask and OpenSea. Um, I thought, oh, wow, what a great opportunity to open source my code and show all these Web2 developers that they actually know how to code in Web3. Like all the tools are there for them. There's nothing new they need to learn. And if someone who is not good at coding like me can build fun tools that people are excited about, maybe you guys should take a look too. And that was kind of where my mind went. Um, so more so like, hey, if we can get more engineers to look at Web3 and play around even on the weekends, that'll add a lot of value to the ecosystem as a whole. So for someone coming at it from your perspective, who has some coding skills, but maybe isn't really an engineer, like what does it mean to talk about it as Web 2 as opposed to Web 3? Like what's, what's, what's the difference that changes or that appears in this, this new kind of set of qualities or, or possibilities that you're bringing people in to help you implement? I think the biggest difference is that in Web 2, at least in Web 2, the infrastructure, not the technology infrastructure, but the social infrastructure was all provided by large companies. You used a Facebook login and you were reliant on Facebook data and they only served the data that they were willing to serve you because they wanted to keep some so that they can monetize it. Same with every single platform. If you wanted to build tools that brought together, brought people together and leveraged existing social layers, you were reliant on a large company's API. Web3, that API is a public blockchain. And that's why I was able to easily, right, create a you know a chat room for CryptoPunks. Like I have no relationship with CryptoPunks. Anybody who owns one, right? But Tango NFT has that because all that data, right? It's no longer just technology infrastructure, but it's social network. Like that data is now public utility to some extent in Web3. And I think that was the biggest um, uh, realization as I started building for it. So kind of native interoperability or something? It sounds like you could yeah. I mean, you, you have, you know, with one login button, you can get someone's wallet ID, which means you have access to, you know, which, which communities they're part of, you know, which communities they joined, when they joined, when they left, um, who they've inter- interacted with, who they've engaged with. Um, and it's an incredible amount of information that, and if you have that network, you can start building a lot of tools on top of that network, right? Um, but historically, if you wanted to build a social app of any sorts, step one was like, I'm going to create an account and I'm going to invite my friends. So, so to the point where you could actually show people the value of your tool, there is a huge ramp up to even get the first 150 people in to start showing people that works. With, with Web3, that network layer is, exists and is, is public for anybody to use. You can just jump in and say, hey, this works for everybody. And it's just a matter of distribution, getting eyeballs onto it at that point, because you don't need to build that network from scratch. So as the Pixel Beast community developed, who was it? Was it who you expected it to be? And how has it kind of evolved since the launch? I mean, you know, initially building out the community, I was inviting my friends, 
and it grew from there. When I look at the active pixel beast community now, it is a really a wide mix of people. Um, there's a couple people in there that have known me for a long time from high school, college, pretty much every job I've had. Some people who I didn't know, but were related through then, as well as completely new people that I had never met before um, that, uh, that I, I've met and gotten to know since they joined the Pixel Beast community. So how do people use the Pixel Beast space? Like, what do they do with it? And are there things that they do that you weren't necessarily anticipating when you created it? So, I mean, absolutely. There's a lot that's happening that I didn't expect. Um, I think one thing about our community is that I didn't have a vision for what the community should be, aside from let's bring these people together. And a lot of what's evolved has been organic. Um, and people are really seeing kind of the the making and like the open thought, like the raw thought process of like, how do we organize this? From where do we go from here? Which I think can be confusing to some people, but um, but also people are, I think, embracing it, um, which has been exciting. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm so more than impressed at what's come out, right? I mean, it's been just over a month. I mean, within the first week, a good friend of mine like, figured out how to animate his Pixel Beast and started rigging up Pixel Beasts. Um, we have now, I mean, including kind of like mock games, like we have like four functioning games of sorts that you can play with your Pixel Beasts. Two were built by the community, two were built by me. Um, and we have all these explorations where people want to build and people are just hungry to dive in um, and participate. But I think what's also more exciting is kind of, you know, I'm hearing from founders that they've connected with investors and they're getting, you know, getting discussions with investors because they're part of the community. I've had people talk about getting job interviews with another company that they met. So I think like with like any community, the real magic happens in the one-on-one relationships and sometimes you know, that come the fruit, fruitfulness of it comes like years later. As a venture capitalist, what have you learned from this project about the NFT space and sort of how you think people are using it right now and might be using it in the near future? You know, I think the NFT was really just the, the kicker that drew people's attention into Web3. I think it was kind of the big way of getting it past, you know, showing people that uh, the blockchain was beyond DeFi. And it's quickly going from NFTs to music to gaming. And now we're seeing Constitution now. I think the bidding starts in about an hour. Um, it'll be passed by the time this is out. Um, so I, I and, and the tooling that's being built, for example, right? The same tooling that's being built to you know, put together these NFT communities are the same tooling that's going to be built to manage the constitution DAO. And for all we know, you know, these DAOs I'm pretty impressed with. I, I can imagine DAOs buying companies, buying, you know, buying assets, buying intellectual property. I was talking to somebody earlier today, like, could we use a DAO to like drive down the cost of insulin? I don't know. It doesn't sound easy, but it doesn't sound impossible. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the areas I'm really excited about is that there's a lot of really incredibly smart people who are all playing with JPEGs until, I mean, we still are playing with them, but we're all going to go into other industries and take all this knowledge and learning with us and expect the same level of kind of transparency um, and technological kind of guidance to avoid legal troubles like signing a contract and somebody not sending money. Like that's something that happens every day around the world and has never happened in the NFT space. You've got a lot of experience running businesses, interacting with lots of different kinds of businesses. I'm really interested in sort of like your perspective on 
these these DAOs, these kind of new organizations that seem to have sp- sprung up as a sort of you know like really unique to this new space. What's your what's your experience been working with them so far? How would you analogize them to other kinds of business organizations, and what do you think they do well or maybe not so well? So, I think one. I mean, I think as a, I think the concept of DAO is a little bit confusing, right? Because we're labeling organizations as DAOs, but I really think of DAOs more like a movement toward decentralization and optimization. Um, what I've seen in the market is I do see a lot of people going full DAO from day one, like let's be decentralized, completely autonomous, and I think that's great, and it's one of the best test beds, and it's I'm, it's great to see that. Although as I'm watching them, I'm starting to wonder. If building a DAO, the best way to build a DAO is, or is if the only way to build a DAO is to be a DAO from day one. So at Pixel Abuse, right, it's, we're completely centralized in the sense that I kind of did it and right now I have full control. So I'm thinking, how do we slowly decentralize? How do we, how do we slowly autonomize? And what's the process for doing that? So I've been watching, um, watching closely other projects. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts on, on ones that are working well. I mean, thinking through layers of participants, right? Because there's people who really want to be core contributors, people who just want to like watch and like be helpful when they can and coming up with different layers to onboard people. So onboarding, kind of retention, uh, rewarding and kind of thinking through all that. Um, and then just just communication too, right? Is probably the biggest piece because all everybody's doing something experimental and there's always a lot of questions. So those are all the kind of important things that popped to my mind. Yeah, I mean, it really does feel like there's a huge amount of experimentation going on in the space with a whole bunch of people trying all manner of different kinds of things. Are are there particular projects that you found particularly intriguing or exciting or ideas that you're following especially closely? Talked about the Constitution DAO. Um, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of energy around the developer DAO. I, I didn't get one, but that one that one I've wanted to want to join or keep track of closely. Um, DAO masters, they did an incredible job putting together some great resources. So the idea of learning DAOs are interesting as well. Um, I think the idea of service, service DAOs, right. Being able to put, bring together creatives, agencies, actually, I mean, can they compete as with agencies? Like next time I need a website built, can I go to a DAO and hire them? I think that's an interesting idea. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm tracking a lot of them. Um, as far as tools go, right, there's Coordinate, SourceGrid, uh, Mycospace, Colony are some of the tooling that's being built. Um, but I'm also thinking through, yeah, what are the what are the governance tools, right? Today, if you're doing a DAO, you, you know, you use Snapshot for two, you know, for your votes and you use Juicebox to hold your money or, no, you know, Juicebox or Gnosis for your money. And then you use something else for registry. I do feel like, you know, it's a lot of different accounts. So eventually we're going to see like kind of big master tools come out of these and, and, and whether that's going to be one giant tool or whether that's going to be more, you know, kind of no code plug and play tools. Um, that'll be interesting. So as a VC, I'm looking at a lot of the tool sets. I mean, one thing that I've noticed is it seems like general media reporting on the space is already several months behind where the space has really landed. I feel like a lot of people look at the NFT space as still being primarily about, you know, buying and selling JPEGs. Is that, is your sense that that's even what's primarily going on anymore or have things kind of already moved past that in ways that the media hasn't noticed yet? 
I think it's still a lot of it. There's still a lot of excitement around NFTs. Um, but I do think there's a lot of excitement around DAOs as well. Absolutely. And I think the, the line between NFTs and DAOs are blurring as well. So that's, that makes it confusing for people. And I think when you look at media, it's challenging because the role of mass media is to educate people and the general masses don't know what NFTs are. So you have to start from the beginning, which is people are buying JPEGs. <laughs> and, and until that, until like, People understand that the mass media can't really move on and explain. I mean, you know, they're talking about the constitution now, but I'm sure it's a lot of people who are hearing the story are like, don't, don't make the connection between the growth of the NFT space and the constitution now. So it'll be a, it's a, it'll be a constant challenge. For everybody, everybody this day, not just the media, but the IRS too. <laughs> yeah. At this point in time, how have people been integrating NFTs and DAOs? It seems like there's lots of different possibilities. Are they natural complements or are kind of people looking for different ways to inter- and, you know, have the two interacting with each other? Sort of like what's the role of the NFT in this kind of what seems more like a, a kind of quasi organizational structure or even like unincorporated association type structure? Well, I think what we're seeing now is kind of the let's just try combining them in, in whatever ways makes sense. So like you have the, hey, we're going to take 10% of the money you gave us. We're going to put it in a wallet. And then if you own an NFT, you can vote on how that wallet is spent. So that's like the kind of simple, let's slap it down on an NFT project piece. I think that's a great experiment, right? And then as an NFT holder, you get to be part of a DAO. You get to vote. Um, whether that NFT becomes in a security is a whole different question that I, I've decided to um, avoid. Um, but that's one experimentation. Um, with ours, right? We I wanted to, I wanted to learn about investment DAOs, and and this Pixel Beast was always a learning journey. So I thought um, I kind of reached out, and it seems like there's enough accredited investors in our Pixel Beast community that what we'll do is we'll spin up a separate Pixel Beast investment club. And so that's that's uh, the DAO, and the NFT is the token gate. You have to own the Pixel Beast to join this investment DAO. And then separately from that, right, I'm going through kind of the tokenomic strategy for like the pixel beast community as a whole. Uh, but I'm not calling that a DAO yet because I think that's, that's you know, that's not where we are yet. Like, let's first work on autonomizing some pieces, decentralizing some pieces. I mean, of course, with the eventual goal of something along those lines. How do you envision the investment DAO potentially working kind of in, in big picture terms? Like, can you help me understand that would lo- what that would look like? Or like as a potential inc- accredited investor, you know, what would I want to know about and what would be intriguing to me about a project of that kind? So, with, I mean, that's something we're figuring out as a community, right? So we have a team of people who are interested in the DAO. Um, I think we need to vote and decide what are the things we want to invest in. Um, I am interested personally in you know, pulling a little bit of money together um, and investing into Web3 startups, doing token rounds as a community and then supporting those startups as a community because we have a lot of great kind of mentors and founders. And I think that's where uh, we could add value as an investor um, in ter- in, instead of just being capital. But that's what I'd vote for. But again, because this is, a, an, you know, the test is an investment now, I've heard uh, people wanting to invest in NFTs. And if there's enough people in the space in our community that has conviction in investing in NFT projects, then why not? And so, so the way it'll work, yeah, the way it'll work, we're, we're, now, we're thinking about using Syndicate DAO and essentially just using an existing tool set and uh, essentially saying, hey, if you want to be a Pixel B, if you want to be part of the Pixel Beast DAO, fill out this form, wire your money, and 
bring deals. And then every time a deal is bought, we'll all vote on it. And if we vote yes, then we'll invest. From a VC perspective, what would you say the big takeaways from creating, releasing, following the development of, and kind of reflecting on uh, uh, Pixel Beast has been? Like, if you were to sort of synthesize what you've learned from that experience that you plan to kind of take into your next projects, what would you point to as like the kind of the, the key takeaways? With a lot of spaces, I feel like when I go deep on it for a few months, I feel like I have my head wrapped around it. And that's usually kind of my experience. And and with this space, I, I don't know where it's going to go. And I think, I mean, that's my biggest takeaway is that like the deeper I go, the more questions I have. Um, and I think that's what excites me. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of VCs interested in the space. And I've heard other VCs echo the same sentiment that this is one of those few spaces where they have difficulty having any conviction of where this is going to go in a year from now. So maybe you could like play that out a little bit. Like when you came into the space, what were your expectations as you recall them? And now as you're wrestling with these new questions, like what are those questions center around? So when I came into the space, it was really, wow, it seems to be moving past. I want to work. And, and my takeaway is, wow, I'm learning a lot faster than I thought. Great. Really the, I think the, the power of smart contracts is one thing that just keeps standing out to me, right? The idea that if you and I agree on something, what I agreed to buy from you is the moment we agree is now in my possession and the amount I agreed to pay you is in your possession. And I think that's just, that's such a mind blowing concept if you think about contracts on a day to day. And then just the, the technology infrastructure, the blockchain, the ability to build on top of it um, and the applications in in various industries, I think are, are pretty exciting. So I'm excited to see what these smart contract developers will do as they get hired into other industries. Yeah, I don't think that's answering your question, just like what I'm interested in following. Yeah, but I, I get it, right? I mean, there's a lot of speculation around like what's coming next and what to pay attention to and what the most kind of important features of Web3 technology are. To the extent you have any sense of like what's right and what's wrong, you know, are are there areas that you're especially kind of watching closely and thinking are like most likely to succeed as it were? Or are you just kind of like, let's wait and see what happens? I mean, I think there's a lot of movements happening, right, that I'm excited about, right? I think the the idea of kind of social layers and infrastructures, right, that XMTP is building, um, kind of smart contracts that allow you to store data off-chain smartly but manage it through smart contracts. I know there's Spruce ideas working on that. So I think there's a lot of exciting kind of infrastructure pieces, um, APIs that once they're built uh, will allow for for more kind of social interoperability, easy game building. Um, and so, yeah, those are some some areas I'm definitely looking at. Um, as well as the idea of kind of cross NFT gaming, I think will definitely continue to grow. Um, and then, you know, as, as these NFTs become our identity, some of these NFTs are already becoming influencers. So now we're gonna, you know, eventually we're gonna start seeing NFT influencer platforms. Right. And then NFT influencer marketplaces where you're going to see brands, book sessions. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's just a, there's just a lot of things to look at. Music royalties, publishing royalties. Yeah. Do, do you see this new DAO structure 
kind of being incorporated into the existing structure of a VC company, or do you see them as remaining separate, like in, from a kind of kind of financial organization governance standpoint? Like, you know, how do you see this playing out? The relationship between them in the future. I think. I mean, VCs. Will, I think venture capital funds will continue to exist as they are. Right. Um, I don't think they'll go away. I think DAOs, the idea of investment, more investment clubs, is great for the ecosystem. Right. We've you know we've had angel groups for a long time. Um, some people argue about the efficacy of angel groups. Um, DAOs. I mean, to some extent, are a similar version of that. I think. And, but instead of each angel making their own investment decision, they essentially vote on it. And if there's enough yeses, you get the money. So, you know, more capital available for startups is always a good thing. Yeah, I think so, generally. So, Yohei, in in closing, I mean, for listeners who are maybe coming at this space from outside and are still kind of working out, like, how it works and what, what's going on and what to understand about it, what would your sense of like the key takeaways that people should kind of be thinking about or looking to and what their expectations for the future might be uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I think the NFT space, the Web3 space can be intimidating. There's a lot going on. It's an, there's an incredible amount of history in such a short amount of time. Um, and it, at any point, I think anybody joining would feel like there's so much to catch up on. My takeaway after having been in this space is that there are, one, a lot of people feel that way because it's, it's, a, it's a growing space, um, so you're not the only one. Um, there are many different sub-communities within the NFT community. And what I'd urge people to do if they're interested is to poke around a little bit and, and tap into some and look for one that kind of fits you. I wouldn't say don't judge you know, the community by the first group you connect with, right? Just like... Um, um, you know, finding your friend group at a new school, right? Poke around, jump around, have lunch with a couple kids and, and you'll find a group that you like. And when you do, like stick around them and have fun. Um, that would be kind of my suggestion in, in terms of exploring NFTs and Web3. And then once you find that group that you like and get along with, then you can ask them questions and they can help you grow. Um, so I'd say first, yeah, explore and like look for your tribe within this like larger, wonderful tribe. Amazing. Well, Yohei, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and I've really benefited from your unique uh, perspective on what's taking place. Thanks. Yeah, this was fun. I uh, look forward to uh, chatting again. Edward Bear, known to his friends as Winnie the Pooh, or Pooh for short, was walking through the forest one day, humming to himself very proudly. Where am I going? I don't quite know. Down to the stream where the king cups grow. Up on the hill where the pine trees blow. Anywhere, anywhere, I don't know. Where am I going? The clouds sail by Little ones, baby ones over the sky Where am I going? The shadows pass Little ones, baby ones 
the ring doves coo. We do have beautiful things to do. Where am I going? I don't quite know. What does it matter where people go? Down to the wood where the bluebells grow. Anywhere, anywhere, I don't know. Well, he'd made up another little hum that very morning as he was doing his stoutness exercises in front of the looking glass. Tra-la-la, tra-la-la. And he was grunting as he stretched up as high as he could go, and then tra-la-la, tra-la. Oh, 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 help. La. And as he tried to reach his toes, he grunted some more. And and then after breakfast, he said it over and over to himself until he'd learned it off by heart. And now he was humming it through properly. It went like this. Tra-la-la, 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 Well, he was humming this hum to himself and walking along gaily, wondering what everybody else was doing and what it felt like being somebody else when suddenly he came to a sandy bank, and in the bank was a large hole. Aha, said Pooh. Rum-tum-tum-tiddle-um. Mm-hmm-hmm. Now, if I know anything about anything, that hole means rabbit, and rabbit means company. Ah, and company means food and listening to me humming and such like. So he bent down and put his head into the hole and he called out, Is anybody at home? 